It's good to be with you. Uh, Ross is right. You've missed me for an eternity. Eternity is a long time. It's not that long. Um, also, there's no guilt in Jesus. I just want to point that out. So if you're a muso, um, in the natural, you should feel guilty. But because of Jesus, you'll volunteer. Um, so that worked well. Uh, actually, I was, I was meant to preach a couple times last year. The once my son Judah got sick and we ended up in hospital. So I, I played that card. I was like, hey, Roscoe, sorry. And then you got George Giorgio on video. It's quite good. Um, and, then, and then I literally lost my voice. I think Ross had to preach for me. And then I was meant to preach last week. And we were coming back. My wife and I, we went to go visit her family uh, in Australia. And we were coming back. And then we got the Spanish flu. It was bad. So the Spanish, like if you've heard of the Spanish flu, so Teresa's got five sisters. And one of them came from Spain with the flu. So obviously it's the Spanish flu. Um, and then... We got it, and once again, I lost my voice. So I had to phone Ross again, and I was like, hey, Ross, you're going to have to do this for me again. So if Ross preached last, uh, well last week, it's because I wrote the sermon. Um, and uh, actually, it's not true. He, wrote, he had to rewrite it. And he wrote, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. Um, and, then, and then this week, literally about Tuesday, I started feeling like I was my voice again. And I was like, Ross, this, you should have seen the man's faith. He was commanding things I didn't even know existed <laughs> like this. Anyway, so I'm here today, and uh, it's good to be preaching again. Uh, we had a, also, we did, uh, had a lovely holiday. I was in Australia. My wife's got five sisters and one brother. So like, that's a lot of people in one house. So I started running again. Um, <laughs> Because I was just, you know, like there's that, like it's 40 degree heat in Australia. I'm like, I'm, I'm going for a run. Um, but actually, it was lovely to be there. And uh, we, my son, he was eight weeks when he we went over and three months when we came back. And he did brilliantly. Parents, not so much. But he did brilliantly. I mean, he slept well and all that stuff. And he's, um, he's three months now and he weighs 7.7 .7 kilos. I'm just boasting. Like, because I know you, every parent thinks their kid's the best. Mine is the <laughs> the best but he's awesome and uh yeah it was a really really good time for t to connect with their family and be over there and uh i'm excited to be back here preaching so last week ross did a phenomenal job um especially at such short notice um to open our series and what we're doing essentially is we, we're looking at the story of god bringing his people the israelites uh, out of egypt it's called the exodus and taking them through the wilderness into the promised land and uh, throughout the scriptures is the story is kind of used as a teaching aid like so many of the biblical writers refer back to that and go hey look at what we can learn there for our lives because there's some principles that exist in that story that apply to the life of every believer and everyone's faith journey and so last week ross asked us the question what do we need to let go of in order to enter into what God has for us. Because so often, you know, we think about the future and, and that thing, but actually there's stuff back here that we, God wants us to, to set us free of. And there's this beautiful moment um, where just before the, the Israelites move through, go through the Red Sea, God says, see the Egyptians, this is the last time you're going to see them. You'll never see them again. And God takes them through and then he closes the sea and wipes out the Egyptians. Because here's the thing, for 400 years they had been slaves. And for some of us, we, it's not that long because it's impossible. But it feels like for so long we've struggled with that thing. But it came to pass and it comes a moment in our life when God says, you see that thing? This is the last time you're going to experience it. 
And he breaks into our life and he sets us free. And actually so often it's about us letting go, us forgiving, us repenting, us going, okay, God, I can lay that thing down so I can walk into what you have for me. And so Ross spoke about that. And too, the, the amazing thing is that that's only half the story. God said, I'm going to take my people out of Egypt. And then, because you need to go somewhere, right? Because if it's just I'm taking you out of something, what... And I'm going to take them into the promised land. And so this week is about the and then. It's about, okay, God set us free from something, but God doesn't just want to set us free from something. He wants to take us somewhere. God doesn't just want you an ex-sinner, an ex-addict, an ex-drunkard, an ex-self-righteous religious person, an ex-something. He wants you to become something. And so many Christians, they, they live in a sense like the, the aim of being a Christian is to avoid my past and limp towards heaven. And God has so much more for you. He doesn't just want you to be an ex-something, He wants you to become something. Look at this amazing promise from Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Ever prayed some outrageous prayers? And you're like, hey, God, if you could do this, you'd be God. <laughs> you're still praying too small. In other words, what we ask or think is based on our ability to imagine and our ability to understand. And God says, I want to do something in your life so unique that when people see you, they'll say, that's God. That's God. Why? Because I know that person. God wants you to live a life so big that if it wasn't for him, it would be impossible. And so he's got something for us, and he's taking us somewhere. And so we're going to pick up the story of where the Israelites are as they come to the threshold of the promised land. And um, we're going to learn some lessons. But if you weren't here last week, I'm just going to bring you up to speed in the story. So basically what happened is, like a few hundred years ago, like 400 years ago, Joseph, um, which is one of the sons of uh, Israel, uh, Jacob, who got renamed Israel, he goes to Egypt and uh, he becomes like a big deal there. He's like the prime minister. And then there's this famine. And so he actually brings the whole family to come live in Egypt and they thrive there. They're just like businesses booming, families are booming, and they're just growing. And then the Egyptians, they forget about Joseph after some time and they see what's going on. They actually get intimidated, intimidated by them. So they say, let's make them our slaves. And so you've got these people who basically are stripped of all their rights and all their dignity, and generation upon generation they're slaves. And one of these slaves has a son called Moses, Moshe, in Hebrew, just to make you know, because Moses is so very English, Moshe. And, uh, and he's a, a son of, of, uh, of the people of Israel, and his parents take a chance, because at that time they were killing all the, the Hebrew boys, and so they actually put him into a basket, and they put him, push him down the river, and he gets stuck in some reeds, and the Pharaoh's own daughter discovers him and says, I'm going to adopt him as my son, and so Moses gets raised as a prince of Egypt. Best ever, and then he realizes that he's actually an Israelite, and so he wants to take this thing to his own hands, and he kills an Egyptian, and Pharaoh finds out, and he's got to run for his life, and he runs all the way to Midian, which you're like, I have no clue where that is. Neither do I, don't worry. Um, but it's far. And there he, he meets a lovely lass and he gets married and he ends up working for her father-in-law, who's basically his boss for 40 years. Man, imagine your father-in-law. Imagine him being your boss 
for 40 years. Things are hectic. Anyway, so then God comes and he finds Moses and he says, I've actually got a plan for you and I'm going to take you to, to I'm going to help, I'm going to use you to deliver my people from Egypt. And Moses goes back and he has this big showdown with Pharaoh and there's 10 plagues and then they get set free and they brought, get brought across the Red Sea and they wander through the wilderness and God feeds them and provides them and they, they're at the threshold of their promise. They add, can, you, can you imagine the sense of excitement? They're at the threshold of their promise. And so they find 12 spies and they send them throughout the land to scope it out so they can come up with some strategy and they come back and that's where we pick up our story. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the, to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Basically what they're saying is God was right. This place is Kiev. God didn't undersell us the promised land like it's really a good place. But then they carry on talking. Verse 28, But... But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. I don't know who these guys were. Maybe it's like Van der Merwe or something like that. Afrikaners, they're big. <laughs> they, they basically, they, they feel like, like when you, I went to Pinetown Boys High, and then you go and you play against a rugby team from Blickiesfontein, and you're like, yo. She's like, hey, coach, I'll be on the bench this game. It's fine. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Can you, can you hear, can, can you feel their heart sinking? They're like, they've got towns, we've got tents. They're getting very insecure. They're big, we're small. They've got five nations, we're one nation. Have you ever known that the promises of God for you were good? You just felt like you couldn't get them. I know the promises of God are good. It's just, there's this this stuff in my life that, there's this thing that's going on in me that, there's the struggle with, and then we think that maybe the promise of God is just for other people who aren't like us. Because I've been there, right? Because then you're leaning in and you're like, tell me, preacher, that this can be for me. And then he says something like, and then I heard the audible voice of God. And I'm like, I'm finished because I ain't heard no audible voice of God ever. So that's great for you, Mr. Preacher, but I don't hear that. So maybe you can get God's promises, but not me. Ever been there? And we look for reasons why the promises, we know the promises of God are good, but we look for reasons why they can't be for us. Or to justify why we won't. And this is where they're at. Their hearts are sinking. And here's the thing is that they're completely surprised. I mean, if you think about it logically, what were they expecting to find? Hey, we come here to the promised land, and then we just knock on the door, and we're like, excuse me, we're here now. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're leaving. You know, and all the nations just, I mean, what were they expecting? Why were they surprised that there's opposition? 
Why, why are we surprised as Christians that there's opposition? But we are. That's why the Bible tells us not to be surprised. Look at these two verses. 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised. <laughs> at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Ever been there? Hey, God, I'm so surprised at the fiery trials that are happening to me. Something strange is happening here, Lord. And then we go to 1 Peter and he says, hey, don't be surprised. 1 John 3.13, so don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Hey, don't be surprised if people aren't excited about your faith as you are. Hey, but I, I, I am surprised. I thought everyone was going to be... Why, why were they surprised and why are we surprised? Because God uses different tactics to bring us out of Egypt than he does to take us into the promised land. And we're looking at his tactics of how he brought us out of Egypt and saying, do that again. But God says, no, I want to work differently now. Let me explain. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt, this guy called Moses came, knocked on the door and said, hey, people of Israel, God sent me to bring you out of Egypt. And they said, yeah, that's cool. Go for it. We'll wait here. No, no, go, go, Moses. No, we support you from over here. And then Moses goes and he stands before Pharaoh. He says, hey, let my people go. And the people in the background are going, yeah, listen to him. No, no, I didn't say it. He said, there's Moses. They talk to deal with Moses. Because if someone's dying, it's Moses, not them. And then they come to the promised land. And God says, okay, your turn. I want you to strap on a sword to your side. And put a shield of faith on your arm and a helmet of salvation on your head. And I want you to go. I was with Moses then. I'm going to be with you now. And you're like, uh-uh. And I send Moses again. Tell him to do that thing with the frogs. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll support you back here. Send him, turn him. Fleas, hail, firestorm, angel of death. And when he's done all that stuff, then I'll come in. That's what we do. Because we think God's going to work again like he did over there. Right, because when we came to Jesus... Jesus already went to the cross. The Holy Spirit was with him. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He paid for your sin. And then all you did is, I receive, Lord. And you inherit the full blessing of his death, burial, resurrection for you. And then in the next phase of life, when it comes to the promised land, we're like, okay, God, go do your thing. I do your thing. And when you've done your thing, then I'll come into my blessing. And God's like, yeah, but this time I'm going to use you. Remember he says, the same way the Holy Spirit was with me, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. And you're like, hey, I don't know if I'm up for that. I don't know, I don't know if I'm up for that. This is actually where the man of God theory comes from. I know we don't have it in our church because you've seen the life of your pastors. Not too impressive. But in some churches, the man of God wears a three-piece suit. In some churches, the man of God drives a Bentley, flies in private jets. I mean, I'm making fun of this Christian celebrity thing. And it's like, hey, the man of God, send him. Because he's got the faith for my situation. If I just get to the man of God and he prays for me, oof. But I don't need faith. I just need to get to the man of God. He's got the faith. He's living. Man, when the man of God prays, there's angels there. Man of God doesn't struggle with no sin. 
This is how we think, right? And actually what you're doing is you're trying to find a way. Why? Because if there's a man or a woman of God, a gifted person, they can have the faith and they can fight the giants and you can just enter into the blessing and you still think like God's bringing you out of Egypt when God wants to take you into your promised land. And suddenly we're not up for that. We're going to ask the question, why? Why does God change tactics? I think there's lots of reasons, but I'm going to major on this one. You, you see the, the Israelites, they had been slaves for 400 years. All they had known was slavery. And when you're a slave, you do what you're told. You come to your master who gives you just enough to keep you alive. And that's your whole worldview. And suddenly God is saying to these ex-slaves, strap a sword to your side. Put a shield on your arm. Stand in battle formations. Because the moment you conquer your enemy, you are no longer an ex-slave. You are the called and chosen by God who is redefining your identity and has something for you. Now, one of my most frustrating statements I hear Christians say, dramatic pause. is I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I believe one part of that. Number one, you are saved by grace. You're standing by grace. You'll always need grace. Nowhere in the New Testament does it refer to believers as sinners. Even Corinth, where some oak was having an illicit affair with his father's Wife, uh, Paul writes to him and says, to the saints in Corinth, to the holy ones in Corinth. So all that person can say is, I'm saved by grace. But the most annoying part is the word just. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. Bible's so clear, God made you in his image. He called you, he chose you, he identified you before the world began, he redeemed you into his family, he washed away your sin, he gave you the Holy Spirit, he birthed in you gifts and talents, and he anointed you, he promised to be with you, there's a priesthood of all believers, we don't need, the world doesn't need another man or woman of God, they need people of God who are all living out their destiny. And by the way, God has no favorites. Bible so clear. He has no favorites. So can we just erase the word just when describing ourselves? You see, some of us are still living our lives like we're ex-somethings. And you need to understand that you have a destiny and you're powerful and you're anointed because God is with you for something. And there's a promised land, and it's good. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I want to read some. 
I'm going to read from, uh, I can't find it in my notes, in Numbers 13. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other, Caleb, he's got faith, we can do this thing. But the other men, the other ten, Joshua was also with Caleb, uh, who had explored the land with him, disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Can you, can you see what they're focusing on? Their circumstances and themselves. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. This is my favorite line, actually, and that's what they thought, too. It's like, did you stop and ask? I mean, how do you know what they're thinking? Have you ever started a thought process that's mulling in your head? Fast forward two hours, that thing is like hectic. It's taken on a life of its own. Ever been there? Am I the only one? Thank you. I was feeling lonely up here. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I never do that. The amazing thing is, keep reading, sorry. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us into this country only to have us die in battle? I just want to ask a question. What does it differ? If you're going to die in battle, why not the wilderness or Egypt, you know? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Ever found yourself in the space where you had hoped for the promised land and then there was opposition and then you look at the opposition and it's way intimidating and here's what, what, what we do. is we, There's no mention of God there. We look at our circumstances, and then we look at ourselves. And we say, there's no way this person is going to be able to confront that reality. And we get so insecure. Yeah, maybe Moses. Did you see Moses when he started there by the burning bush? He was stammering. He was stuttering. He literally said to God, God said, anyone else. Anyone. It's not like Moses was all, there was a learning curve. And so they start to, to hatch a plan B. I know, no, I, know, I know I had these dreams, and I know I feel like God's called me to that thing. But it's not so bad here. Hey? We can camp here. Maybe we can just go back to Egypt. Maybe they'll take us back. Ever feel like you're prepared to just settle in your heart for what you got? And you had hoped for so much more, but now we've taken one too many knocks taking one too many disappointments, and we're just like, what now? Keep reading. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. By the way, this is why we still name sons, Joshua and Caleb. No one knows who the other ten were. They just, no one names them those names. They tore their clothing. Apparently, it's completely acceptable when you're upset. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. 
And if the Lord and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. I just want to clarify a difference between them and us. They had to ask the question, if the Lord is pleased with us, because they lived under a different covenant where God related to them based on how well they were doing. But we live under a new covenant in Jesus where God relates to us based on how well Jesus did. And we don't have to say, if the Lord is pleased with us. We just get to say, the Lord is pleased with us. Because that's actually what's at the heart of so much of this stuff, is we get insecure about ourselves and like, but God, have you seen my life? Have you seen my mistakes? Did you see the way, oh, traffic, Lord, if I could just have like a, I don't have to be a Christian for those 10 minutes on the way to work and back because I get angry. Have you, and we look at ourselves and we, we get so insecure because we wonder if maybe it's something I'm doing. That's why I can't enter. The tactics of the enemy haven't, changed for like three and a half thousand years circumstances are bigger than you are and you're too small but we need to go the lord is pleased with us and he's going to bring us safely into that land why because if he's powerful enough to set us free from egypt he's powerful enough to take us where what he chose us for in the first place let me tell you the hard thing in this process was god sending his son to die for your sins everything else after that is easier for him Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. I love this. Don't be afraid because that's it. There's fear involved. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What, what about the fortified towns and the... Yeah, but against God, they have no protection. Re- recently, I went through this process where I felt like I was those people there at the beginning of chapter 14 where I was weeping all night and going, God, maybe there's a plan B. I I just want to be really vulnerable. And I've I've, I've held on to your promises and I feel like I've been as faithful as I know how to be, but God, like, I've taken one too many knocks and one too many disappointments and God, I just feel like I want to, you know, stop the bus. Like, let me... And the amazing thing is that these guys had to go walk around the wilderness for 40 years <laughs> until that whole generation died and these kids got to inherit the blessing. But because I'm in Jesus Christ and I'm connected to the Father, the Father's just been fathering me through this, some of the disappointment I felt, some of the struggle I felt. And in that space, I'm realizing two things. Number one, I looked at those, the things that I thought were impossible and I'm, faith is starting to build again. And where I had connected this thing to my performance, God's going, it's not about how well you're performing, you're my son. And he's fathering me through this journey. And for some people here, you, you've, you've daring, it's like you, you're daring to believe God again. Dare to believe him. For some people here, you actually, you're at church, New Year, New You. You say, let, let me just try this God thing one more time. Keep trying. For some of you, you need to come to Team Night and get involved. Because you, you're that person that just, you know, I'm living in the blessing of yesterday. Remember when I saved, that was so good. If I can just keep, and God's like, I've got more for you. 
I've given you gifts, you ability, you talents. I want you to step out and serve. For some of you, it's just to be in community. I, I know so many people that are like, I tried in church once. I, I know so many people here who are like, I tried here. Try again. God, God, I want to make my, I want to take steps because that, that's it right there to keep moving towards that promised land. God, I'm going to keep taking steps, believing you're going to meet me there. Because God wants you to know you're not an ex sinner who's just hanging on one day, get to heaven. And if I could just avoid sin and get to heaven, whew, like that's, a, that's my hope for my life. God's like, no, 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 no. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I have a plan and a destiny for your life. Will you dare to believe me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your radical faithfulness. You are powerful to set us free from our sin in Jesus, and you are powerful to take us into what you have for us. God, I pray for your faith to rise up within your people. You love them. You love them. You love them. And all things are possible to those who are called according to his promise. I pray, God, for dreams, God, dreams that have gone silent, dreams that have gone dead, God, dreams that are just have faded into the background of people's lives, God, that you just start to fan those things again. And that, Father God, we, you give us the ability to take our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances and just fix them on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.